ברוך השם, you're a bad Jew. שלום. You're listening to Bad Jew, the podcast where we are here to address the fact that you're not a bad Jew for being on your journey. With me today is Saul Blinkoff. Saul, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chaz. Thanks so much, buddy. Good to see you. Good to be here. And uh, boy, that title really uh, intrigued me because, you know, I-, I-, I hope people don't think, hey, if Saul Blinkoff's on this podcast, is he a bad Jew? And by the way, then I started thinking, right. wait, am I a bad Jew? Right, <laughs> you know? right. But no, no, Saul, okay. you're, 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 you're one of the, you're one of the, the <laughs> kindest mentions I know. I mean, okay, good. Oof. Well, thank God. You know, <laughs> just for a little context, just for a little context here, I'll, I'll tell you guys a quick life story and then I'll let Saul introduce himself. But, you know, uh, back in 2019, I was working at Dave and Buster's in Hollywood, right? And I reached out to Rabbi Jack and Shira in Aishle and I said to them, hey, I really am looking for opportunities in the Jewish world. Can you help me? Rabbi Jack and Shira introduced me to another member of Asia Torah named Richard Horowitz. Richard Horowitz had me come to Saul Blinkoff's Shabbat, and Saul welcomed me into his home without knowing me. And their Shabbat to their home, you can actually see his home. That's not a virtual background behind him. They are the most lovely, most peaceful, uh, most wholesome Shabbat you possibly peaceful. imagine. Peaceful. I got four kids and a dog. What are you talking about? <laughs> you're right. You're right. Well, the dog wasn't there at the time. So that's right. It, it was it was uh, wholesomely chaotic. That's how I'm going to describe it. Oh, that's awesome. And by the way, anyone listening, if you're ever in the LA area, hit us up. We would love to host you for Shabbat dinner. Just give me like, I don't know, a day's notice. I'm on Instagram. Come find me. Uh, we love meeting new people and hosting you for Shabbos. So come, come and eat. I'll just tell my wife, honey, we're going to need like 15 challahs for the Shabbos, <laughs> but we'd love to host you. And I mean, if anyone listening would love to come, we'd, we'd love to have you. And everyone listening and watching this right now just got a sneak peek as to just how generous Saul and the Blinkoff family is. Thank you. But that though, Saul, you know, we want to know who you are. I think there's a lot of people out there who already know who you are. The Bad Jew Challenge is to tell your life story in four minutes. I'm excited to hear what you come up with starting <laughs> now. Go for it. All right. Well, hold on. I got to give a little preamble because if my wife were here or my kids were like, there ain't no way my dad can talk anything in four minutes. My life story in four minutes. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. So I grew up in New York and I loved drawing. I was going to be an artist. I saw the movie E.T. at 11 years old and it made me want to be a filmmaker, a director. Eventually, I saw the movie The Little Mermaid that said, oh, you don't want to just be in movies. You can draw in movies. You can combine your two passions, your love of filmmaking and drawing, put them together, animation. And uh, that's when I I had a dream as a junior in high school. I knew I wanted to be a Disney animator. I eventually, my mom took me on a trip to Disney World to walk around Disney World to ask the Disney employees how her son could become a Disney animator. It was actually very embarrassing. We got on the It's a Small World boat ride. And the lady at Disney's like, how many of your party were like two? My mom was like, by the way, my son wants to be a Disney animator. It was very embarrassing. But a Jewish mother, that's what she did, right? So eventually I found out in order to get into Disney, I had to go to one of these schools, one of these eight schools that were the best art schools on planet Earth at the time. Eventually I got into one of these schools, Columbus College of Art and Design, and I was geared to be a Disney animator. Eventually a Disney representative came to our school spoke to us in the auditorium. There were 700 students there that day, every freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. And he looks out to us and he goes, how many of you want to be Disney animators? 
and every hand went up. And he goes, just so you know, out of the 700 of you in this room, maybe four of you will ever work there. That's how competitive it is. And I remember when he said that, I thought one thing, I wonder who the other three are going to be. Because in life, you either believe in yourself that you can accomplish or you don't. And I mean, deep down, do we really believe that we can accomplish? Well, I did believe in myself. And I tried to get into Disney my sophomore year, and I got rejected. I tried my second year, rejected. And then I gave up. That was it. Reality set in. You know, my best friend, Andy, he got in. I wasn't good enough. That's it. I gave up on my dream. Eventually, I got tickets to go see a movie. I saw the movie Rudy, the football player movie. That inspired me to never give up. I tried again, and boom, when you wish upon a... I got into Disney, started as an animator on Pocahontas. I worked on lots of movies, Hunchback, Mulan, Tarzan. Eventually, I found my way to Israel. Uh, I grew up conservative, traditional, whatever. Eventually, I got to Israel. I was on an amazing program that inspired me to learn about Judaism, and I left that Israel program with one idea in my head. I don't just want to be Jewish. I want to live Jewish. For the first time in my life, I embraced my Jewish identity, and I let it inform every decision that I make in my life. And today, I live in Hollywood. I live in L.A. I just finished working at DreamWorks, and I balance living in observant Jewish life with a Hollywood storyteller's life. I got four kids and a puppy, and that's four minutes. Dang, that was good with 52 seconds left. Nice. Oh, 52 seconds left. Okay, here but this. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I also have a podcast, right? <laughs> and I've also figured out ways to take my love of Judaism and my love of storytelling and combine them in order to impacting other people. And that's really my life's goal tonight. People ask me all the time, what, what's, who is Saul Blinkoff? My life is really one thing. Everything that I do, whether it's a father, being a father, a husband, a student, anything, everything that I do is I want to impact another human being to realize their limitless potential. 18 seconds left. Hi, there's the life. Hi, boom. boom. <laughs> Love it. And the boom is a part of Life of Awesome. You know, the energy that Saul brings here is a part of Life of Awesome. It's a really inspiring podcast with incredible Thank guests. Thanks, Jess. For those who want to see it, check out the banner below. Go to your favorite podcast listening platform. By the way, the first guest I ever had on my podcast is the real Rudy Rudiger. Yeah, the real right. guy. I had him on there. Incredible story. Go check out that episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely worth it. Absolutely. But Saul, you're here today to talk about something of a different tonality, you know, mm -hmm. especially with uh, Dave Chappelle's most recent appearance on SNL. He introduced a monologue that sparked a lot of question, yet it wasn't exactly for the first time either. The question was, you know, why are there so many Jews in Hollywood? And, you know, you're a proponent of that to some degree. Obviously, you are one person. You didn't decide for all the Jews to come here. That's not what I'm saying at all. Right. What I'm saying is that there has been a long history of Jews within Hollywood. And I, I guess I wanted to dissect that with you and explore that possibility. And is, is it even a real concern? What What is there to consider when looking at, you know, the Jewish demographic in Hollywood? And what does that mean for how the world views us? And what does that mean for the world in reality? Wow. Great question. Well, here's the thing. First of all, people need to realize that Hollywood was actually started by Jews. Mm -hmm. The film business was originally done in New York. That's where it was done. And the Jews in New York had a hard time getting in. They weren't accepted. So some of these Jews came out to California and said, you know what? Let's go make our own community of filmmaking and storytelling. 
And the weather is great, so you can shoot out, outdoors year-round, so that saves money. And uh, Hollywood was built by Jews. Warner Brothers, Metro Goldwyn Mayer, were all Jewish, MGM, right? TriStar Pictures, I mean, all these studios, the Zanuck, all of these studios were started by Jews. So I think when Chappelle's is saying what he's saying, if you imagine the heads of all these studios, and especially when I started at Disney, it was being run by Michael Eisner, Jeffrey Katzenberg, Jews. So if you think about it, if you're a person trying to make it as an actor, a writer, anything you want to do in the movie business, well, you need to be hired by the Jews because the Jews are the ones that are running the company. So if you look from another perspective, oh, Jews are the ones that control Hollywood. Well, in a sense, that's true because Jews are the ones that created Hollywood. Now, today, the movie business, there's so many diverse groups that are running studios. That's right. right? Back then, if it was a white Jewish male, you were running a studio. Today, most of the animation studios are run by women, by the way, who are not Jewish. Times have changed. But I will say this. There are many observant Jews and non-observant Jews in Hollywood that have those key positions on creating the content. What are the stories that are being told? What's the viewpoint that those are being shared with? And I see filmmaking uh, as, a, as a responsibility. You know, I'm, I'm an artist. I'm a producer. I'm a director. I'm not just looking to be at Disney or DreamWorks. When I was younger, I was very naive. I was like, you know what? I wish I could just be at Disney drawing Mickey Mouse every single day. I remember telling that to my sister once. I'm like, I would be happy if I could sit there and draw Disney, Mickey every day. Now, it's not like, what studio am I at? It's what message am I sharing through the stories that I'm telling? Right. You know, look, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker, right? So the first movie I directed for Disney was a Winnie the Pooh movie called Winnie the Pooh Springtime with Rue. And in that movie, I was just starting to embrace my Jewish identity. So what did I do? I thought, you know, I'm not just a filmmaker. I'm a Jewish filmmaker. How do I put Judaism in the movies? So the first day on the movie, I had a drawing of the Hundred Acre Wood where Winnie the Pooh lives. And my job as a director was to look at his house, which is a tree with a door on it, and you know approve that drawing with the signature. And then it goes to the painters to paint it in color for the movie. So I look at the proportions of Winnie the Pooh's house. Yeah, it's all good. I sign it. Everyone leaves. I'm alone for a minute with the drawing, and I think to myself, wait, don't Disney artists like hide things in the movies? Ever heard that, Jazz, right? They hide yeah, I've stuff. I've heard that a lot. I've heard that so a lot. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to hide something. I sharpen the pencil. I go over to Winnie the Pooh's house, and next to his doorway, I drew in a mezuzah. <laughs> now he's not Winnie the Pooh. He's Winnie the Jew. There we go. <laughs> Look at that. Look right? at that. So I started putting Judaism into the films. And the next movie I directed for Disney, Kronk's New Groove, the sequel to Emperor's New Groove. He was Jewish. He was. You found that out. That's right. Yeah. He was Jewish. And I also remember reading the script, and I'm like, it says Kronk gets married. I'm like, this is great. We'll give him a chuppah, the wedding canopy. I got my wedding album with the calla lily flowers that my wife likes. I gave it to the art director at Disney. They put it in the movie. In the beginning of my career, when I started embracing my Judaism, I started hiding Jewish things in the movies. Wow. But as I matured as a filmmaker and as a Jew, I started saying, what are the values I'm putting into the movies, into the stories? What are those Jewish values? What are those Judeo-Christian values? Hmm. How do I put those into this? I was reading a script one day on a Winnie the Pooh movie, another mo Pooh movie that I did. And there was a scene. I'm like, you know, that's not in line with the values that I want to teach my kids. That's not in line with Torah values. Mm -hmm. And I changed the scene as a filmmaker. So today I wake up and I look at Hollywood and I go, yeah, 
Hollywood's definitely diverse now, becoming more diverse ever before. But it is time for the Jewish filmmakers and writers to step up and make sure they share what those Jewish values are and try to implement them into the stories we're telling. Because for better or worse, I do believe that Hollywood dictates to the world culture, right? The world finds its culture from Hollywood. That's a blessing and a curse. It used to be, you know, some actor was in a movie in the 70s, 80s. -hmm. You didn't know anything about them in their real life. Mm -hmm. You know about them. You knew about them if you read like People magazine or maybe at the Oscars if they got up and spoke. Other than that, you didn't know anything about them. All you knew was that Robert De Niro was in Goodfellas. That's it. Today, they have 33 million followers on Twitter. Now you know everything about them. You know what they eat. You know what their house looks like. You know their political views. You know everything. You probably know too much. There's a great clip that Ricky Gervais has. He got up at the Golden Globes a couple years ago. And he gets up and he goes, you know, he says to these all these actors, this is the Beverly Hilton Hotel. He's like, you know what? If you come up here, just get your little award and get off the stage. Don't share all your political views because most of you aren't equipped to be sharing your views on anything other than acting. Like he was really open about it. It was a really right. funny clip. You should check it out. Yeah. But anyway, that's how I see Hollywood. And that's how I see the Jewish responsibility of being storytellers. Now, it's, it's super interesting because you're kind of describing – I mean, from your personal practice, right, there is, the, you know, the very cute insertion of the little Easter eggs that you described, right? Like right. Putting on Winnie the Pooh's and then putting right. the hookah in, in Crocs and uh, in, in, in the sequel to Emperor's New yeah, Groove, Crocs right? New Groove, yeah. and, and, and it's it's just, it's all these really entertaining things. It's all these really cute things. Obviously, that's not happening across the board of every single Disney movie out there. Because right. if, if, if that was, then that would be evidence of Jews controlling Hollywood. That's right. 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 Did, did, uh, you know, Mickey Mouse would be wearing a keep all the time. Fox wouldn't have a giant Christmas tree outside their studio. Well, remember, when he says that- Jews are controlling Hollywood, he definitely doesn't mean observant Jews. That's for sure. Right. Right. Larry David is not an observant Jew. Well, I was going to bring him up, too, because, yeah. you know, one thing one thing I was thinking about when you were describing he's, he's, is- he's a proud bad Jew, by the way. Yes, he is. If we can get him on the podcast, that'd be pretty epic. But he's a proud man. <laughs> here, here's the thing about someone like Larry David, right? Or or even Jerry Seinfeld, right? Yeah. These, these are guys who have kind of mastered Jewish humor and they've made it pretty popular in the world of Hollywood, right? Oh, yeah. You, you oh, see yeah. them through their shows like Seinfeld and through yeah. Curb Your Enthusiasm and anything else that they've been put in, you know, incorporating some level of Jewish humor into it. Yeah. But a lot of it, a lot of Jewish humor is self-degrading. And that's very much a lot, a lot of, especially Larry David shtick, right? Yeah. But then, when a non-Jew hears a self-degrading, Woody Allen, it all started with Woody Allen. Oh yeah, Woody Allen. Jeez. Right. You know, you, you put some, put some, um, you know, self-degrading shtick in there, and a non-Jew yeah. hears that, right? Suddenly they start using the these terminology, and it becomes commonplace. Commonplace. So then, that's kind of what where my mind jumped to when you described the the when you used the word responsibility. That was kind of the key word that stuck out to me. And what? You yeah. Said. So, you know, we're we're in this place now where you know do we do we really control Hollywood? You talk about Jewish writers standing up and being you know more involved and kind of putting themselves more into it. Are you talking specifically about Judeo values, Judeo Christian values that originate from the Torah, or are you talking to a deeper sense of activism yeah i mean when i say judeo-christian values i'm talking things ideas that get their foundation in torah period right so there's that the other thing is you're right i'm a big seinfeld fan i'm a big curb your enthusiasm fan but at the end of the day i know it's not necessarily good for the jewish people right 
It's right. not. And actually, because of where Hollywood is today with embracing the different diverse cultures, you know, you can't make a movie about a protagonist who's black today if you're a white filmmaker. Okay. Because, because I mean, even Viola Davis came out, and she was in the movie The Help. I think she, I think she won an Oscar. Was nominated. I think she won an Oscar for that movie. Incredible mm-hmm. movie about mm-hmm. racism in the South. And and she came out recently in the last year and said she regrets making the movie. And it was like, why do you regret making the movie? She goes because the filmmakers were white, right? So there's a there's a feeling in Hollywood now that. The only people qualified to tell certain stories are the people who are of that race, whatever it is. Right. Now, I can understand that from a perspective, or at least to get a filmmaker or, or, or a consultant to help you. You know, when, the, when Pete Doctor, I think he was the Disney Pixar director who made the movie Soul, which came out a couple years ago with a black, black. great movie with a black protagonist. Well, they quickly realized at Pixar that if this movie is going to be respected, that they're going to need to have a black filmmaker. So they brought in only towards the end of the movie, a black director to co-direct with the white director to say, yeah, we have credibility. So I understand that you have to have a consultant or whatever to lead it. But the, the good news for Jews is everything that comes out now for the Jewish content Studios are taking seriously. They're waking up to the idea that you have to run it through some organization to let you know that this is authentic Judaism because there's so much stuff out there that paints Judaism, especially observant Judaism, in a bad light. Absolutely. There's those Netflix specials that have like some woman growing up in Brooklyn in the ultra Orthodox community and she leaves it because she, then there's the other one on Netflix. I can't remember the name. You probably well, the first thing you're talking about is unorthodox. Right, uh, that, right. There's that one. Being right, very, there, I remember that being a very engaging miniseries, yeah. Right, right. So there's these kind of things. So now I have a dear friend, Allison Josephs. She runs an organization in New York called Jew in the City, okay? okay. And in her organization, she has formed a committee that Hollywood, she's met with Disney, Warner Brothers, DreamWorks, Fox, Netflix. They're all taking note of it. And now as new content is created that represents observant Judaism, they must go through this organization. Incredible. It's incredible. Look, I just got off a DreamWorks show and here's me, white director over 40, who's helping direct a show that has a black girl in it. And I'm supposed to give notes on what her hair looks like. So I asked people on my show who were black who are women, like, what do you think? And, and they're giving me such a perspective of things that I don't know. It was so invaluable. Well, now there's an organization that if you're doing anything with whatever culture it is, you got to bring that organization, tap into them to make sure it's authentic. So that goes for the Jews too. That's where we, that helps the Jewish people. Absolutely. Diversity is becoming a a really big hot button topic. I remember a couple of years ago during the Oscars, uh, it being mentioned that, uh, you know, basically every single talent coming up saying, how come there's only white people getting awards right now? Right. And that really changed Hollywood for the better. Uh, as a matter of fact, here's an article uh, that I that I found here from uh, JTA. You know, nearly every major movie studio was founded in the early 20th century by a group of first generation secular Jews. That's exactly what you said, Saul, who immigrated to the United States from Eastern Europe. Carl Lemel, uh, Adolf Zucker, William Fox. 
Louis B. Mayer, Boom. Benjamin Warner, yeah. were all Jewish silver screen pioneers, laying the groundwork for the size and scale of the film industry to follow. So far, we've said all this. But the industry has diversified greatly in the century since, with studios largely swallowed up by corporate behemoths. And while individual Jews may be overrepresented in the industry that has long welcomed and rewarded them, the rhetorical danger, Nadell said, comes in conflating a large Jewish presence in an industry with ownership and control of that industry. Jews remain active in Hollywood in a variety of roles, but it would be impossible to say that they run Hollywood, that they own Hollywood. So just absolutely, you know, intriguing to kind of, you know, boil that down to kind of, yeah. you know, it's exactly what you just said, basically. Right. Yeah, we exist in it for good historical reason. But now here's the thing. The big change that I'm a, a, a big supporter of and encourager of, and I'm trying to do what I can, is to have the Jews of Hollywood wake up and embrace their Jewish identity. Right, because currently the Jewish, the Jew, the Jews that are inside Hollywood right now, kind there's there's that self degrading, Depre deprecating. Of, yeah, you got yeah. like the Seth Rogans, the Sarah Silvermans, right? And, Don't even and, get me start on Seth Rogan. Jeez. Right, yeah. right. Like so, these kinds, right? There's all these people that. You, you, Judaism is a punchline, you know, yeah. and they, and, and, and the problem is, is unfortunately a lot of them, and I, I hope this doesn't come off judgmental. I mean it in, in just an, in an understanding way. A lot of these self-deprecating, self-hating, whatever phrase you like, Jews, they really are ignorant. Their Judaism as an education stopped at Hebrew school, right? And by the way, most of them didn't pay attention to Hebrew school. I didn't pay attention to Hebrew. I went to Hebrew school. Mm -hmm. I hated Hebrew school. All I loved was like, I used to get to talk to girls and eat bagels. That's it. That's what I liked about Hebrew school. I wasn't listening when I was 15 about Jewish identity and values. Yeah. It was only later in my life that I had the opportunity to go to Israel and learn as an adult, well, how do I fit into the Jewish people? Right? So the problem is you have Jews that, you know, for them, like I just, I just told you what I just told you. What was my Jewish identity in Hebrew school? Talking to girls and eating bagels. Right. So, so imagine I'm a comedian now, and right. I'm standing on the stage. I'm talking about Judaism. What am I going to talk about? Girls right. and bagels. Right. That's girls basically curb your enthusiasm, right? I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. like that's what he's talking about, right? It's right. all those funny things from growing up, but only when we educate ourselves to what Jewish values really are, which of course is based in Torah and Jewish thought and Jewish wisdom. And so many sources of, of Jewish content today to understand what it is. I mean, Jordan Peterson, he's not Jewish. He understands what makes the Jew unique. Mark Twain, Mark Twain, one of the greatest American writers in history, mm -hmm. he understood. Churchill, Winston Churchill understood what the essence of the Jew was. It was the Jewish mind. It was those Jewish values. And I think that what we need to do is encourage Jews in Hollywood today to, you know, Embrace your Jewish identity will come from understanding what Judaism really is, not just what you think it is. It's not just a punchline. Right. It's actually a purpose. It's not it's, a punchline. It's a right. purpose. You know, only until recently did I see uh, a show that, you know, actually allowed for a Jewish character to simply be a Jewish character and represented it in a good light. Um, really? I've never yeah. heard of it. What so is it? What, what, I've is, never seen that. <laughs> yeah. So this movie, this show is The Patient. It's a mini series on Hulu, and it's with ah. Steve Carell, who plays a therapist who happens to be Jewish, and talks about the difficulties within his family. So there's actually a lot of um, representation in Judaism between conservative Judaism and Orthodox Judaism. Yeah, 
this is not a spoiler alert, so don't worry for those who are listening. The premise of the show is that Steve Carell, as a therapist, gets kidnapped by his patient <laughs> who has much deeper issues than he revealed. And during captivity, Steve Carell's Jewishness, his character, uh, comes out in this really big way. Now, obviously, by the way, just to just to flip this on up, upside down a little bit, you were talking about, Saul, how there needs to be some kind of representation from different minority groups if there's a certain minority uh, actor on there. Steve Carell is not Jewish. Right. He's been called an honorary Jew by a lot of Jews. Right? Now, let's talk about that. Are you even yeah. allowed to have a non-Jew play a Jew? I have a feeling in five years that's not going to be allowed. But I have a feeling in five weeks that won't be allowed. <laughs> yeah. From what I can see here in my town in Hollywood. Right. Yeah, that's, so. a, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Look, there was Bradley Cooper. What was that controversy? There's some movie where he's supposed to play a Jew and they gave him a prosthetic nose. No. Yeah, look it up right now. Oh my God. I you got to check it out. There was this whole thing and like it's Bradley Cooper and Oscar nominee, whatever. And he was playing, uh, it wasn't like Oscar Schindler, but it was someone of that caliber. Oh, you know what? It was a, it was a composer. Maestro. It was in, oh, Bradley Cooper's prosthetic nose in Maestro. Was it really necessary? Yeah. Right. Oh my God. Right. I didn't, I didn't hear about this. So he's playing, what was the role? Who's the, who's the, who's the composer? Yeah, it's uh, Leonard Bernstein. Oh, Leonard Bernstein. There you go, wow. Leonard Bernstein. So, oh my God, I didn't, I didn't see this. I just looked it up. That's honestly just uh, humiliating and terrible. Right, right. Yeah, very degrading. Yeah. Right. Well, you you couldn't find a Jewish actor to play that role. Not only that, but you had to give him a you had to give him a, a nose. I I, I, don't, right. I don't understand. Like, I'm sorry for 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 Netflix. Go ahead and look at me for a second. Does yeah. my nose look abnormal to you? No, it's just normal. Yeah, it's a pretty nice nose, Chad. I'm just saying. Thank you, thank you. Can, can you look at your nose too? Hold on. Well, I'm not as blessed as you, but you know, it's it's fine. It's, it's nothing... fine. You see, he's he was nice. He said fine. Yeah, but like 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 you don't have to add some crazy right. prosthetic right. to emulate a Jew. Exactly, know? exactly. So just, the, like uh... times are times are different. It's, times are changing. Look, here's the other thing. Yeah. While I embrace diversity, and I do think it's important that different cultures are able to see themselves in the protagonists, in those characters on films. I also think we have to be careful. And I'll tell you what I mean. I think, um, and you could probably look this up, I think Hollywood put out some rules, I think it was about a year ago, where they came up with the new guidelines for a movie that's going to be, if it wants to be accepted as a, as a potential Oscar nominee for Best Picture. Did you see this? No, I haven't seen this. You didn't yet. see this? So there's these guidelines, and the guidelines, the way I remember them, and I have to check it out to make sure it's actually accurate, but it's something like you have to have, you know, uh, someone of color as a main character in the movie. You have to have an LGBTQ, you know, as a main character, whatever. Like, like the, everyone has to be represented in a movie if it's going to be considered to be an Oscar best picture. Intriguing. So what's what's while again while I embrace diversity and I think it is important that people have to be represented in their stories I don't think everyone needs to be represented in every story right and specifically you know I, I, I was thinking the other day if somebody wanted to make let's say there's a World War one World War two veteran who's alive right now okay. this guy Harry whoever who was at Pearl Harbor and he wants to make a documentary or a film about his life. So he goes to Spielberg and Spielberg like, yeah, we're going to make a story about Harry whoever's life. Unless, and Harry wants to tell you the story about him and his five white men guys that mm -hmm. did this one thing. If he wants to have that story be considered, he'd have to change one of the characters to be black. Well, you know what that means? You're changing history. 
Right. You see, that's where you have to be careful because right. stories are also education on what happened. Right. And while we do have to embrace diversity and have those stories being told, we also have to be respectful to what actually happened, what right. reality was. Right. Right. And so we have to be careful that it's it can be a slippery slope and there's a fine line. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give you a, a silly, you know, I, I don't play video games anymore, but I, I, I'm, you know, the film industry and the world of media, you know, is all one part of one giant ecosystem, right? That's right. The influence yeah. of one industry is going to impact other industries, sure. including the video game industry. Yeah. So uh, I used to play video games. I used to play this first person shooter game called Battlefield. Mm -hmm. And they released a game called Battlefield One, which was based in World War One. Who were the predominant figures who fought in World War One? It was white men. Right. And I, 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 you know, that's, that's just, that's just the reality of it, unfortunately. Right. And by the way, right. It's a reality that black right. people were not permitted to fight, which is a terrible injustice. Except for in specific divisions now. Except, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like the Buffalo soldiers were the, were the first African-American soldiers. Uh, and I believe that they started in World War II. I could be wrong about that. They might've been in World War I too, but I, I believe that the, they started in World War II. Anyway, yeah. though, not, that should be, it's, it's all podcast right there that's a that's a whole uh, different story here is something interesting right i was playing this game this this first person shooter based in world war one and then suddenly i started seeing uh german the, the the people in the german and italian factions were half white half black and i was like wait a second there were no black german soldiers on the right. fighting for the so fighting for the, right. for the for the reich at the time yeah so it was very weird it was now think about it like this now you got teenagers playing that game or whoever's playing that game and that's how they think history was and it's it's not. However, I will say here was one moment where there was diversity uh, accurately portrayed for World War One, and it was the movie 1917. Did you see that movie, Saul? No, no. First of all, just on a cinematic level, yeah. I've never seen a camera tell as good of a story as 1917. I've heard. It's, you know, I'm it's putting it at the top of, most, of my list. It's one of the most world-immersive stories I've ever seen told strictly through a camera. It's oh, just that's absolutely amazing. amazing. But the first time I ever saw any form of diversity, and I, I, I fact-checked this to make sure, they showed Indian soldiers who were medics at one point uh, in this truck, in this one scene in 1917. It's a very quick scene, but I looked it up later on, and I found out that the British and the Indians, that they basically, uh, the British Empire imported uh, Indian Indians from India, and they, because of their medical backgrounds, they actually made them frontline medics in World War One, and it was uh -huh. a nod it was a nod to that diversity. I think that was diversity done correctly. Yeah, that was that was a that was a little window into the reality of that time. Beautiful. And they showed you know, gave a very quick history lesson that piqued a lot of interest, and it, there's a lot of articles on that. Beautiful. That's so, great. Yeah, I want to I want to quickly shift gears just a little bit. Salt, you're an observant Jew. You would call yourself modern Orthodox, right? I, I call myself a Torah Jew. A Torah you know? Jew. Fair modern enough. Orthodox. From you know, I, I'm always careful about those phrases because that you know you put yourself in a box and sometimes there right. are limitations so the only thing that unlimits me is torah i love that i love that answer it's probably I'm one a, of the best answers i've I'm heard a, i'm a torah jew dude. that's it yeah so you're a torah jew as you said right but you're working the film industry and sometimes those hours go into shabbat sometimes not those hours not, not but where i work in the film industry and i work in the film and industry. you work in the film industry okay right? yeah how do you how do you handle the issue of wanting to practice observance and navigating the schedules, the demanding schedule of Hollywood. Oh yeah. I mean, to me, it's incredibly easy because I'm in a leadership role. 
you know, I'm, I'm gonna, I've been doing this since like the mid nineties, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not starting out. So I've, I've established myself uh, as a successful director producer in the, in my field. But I, I will say this to you. Somebody once came up to me once was like 22 year old. And they're like, you know, I just got my first job offer for this major company. And they said, if I take the job, I'd have to work on Shabbos. What should I do? And I said, well, here, here's what I'll tell you. Number one is, do you believe the Torah is true? Like, do you believe the Torah is written by the creator of the world? As a matter of fact, before that, do you believe there is a creator? If you believe there's a God, and if you believe with ironclad faith and knowledge, by the way, that he wrote the Torah, and he says in that Torah, it is not good for you to work on Shabbos, then you'd have no question for me right now. But somewhere in your journey, what you're really saying is, I'm not sure if the Torah is true. Maybe I'm not sure there's a creator. And if you're not sure there's a creator, then why would you, if you don't believe in God, why would you believe that the Torah is good for you? Because it could be flawed because it's written by a human being. So you would be an idiot to not work on Shabbos because it's just written by a man. But if you believe that the Torah is true and it was divine and that the creator of the world wants the best for you and is telling you, if you want to have the greatest life imaginable, then I gave you Torah Chaim, or if you're Ashkenaz, Torah Chaim, tools for living. That's what Torah is. Torah, the Hebrew word Torah, actually means directions. It means instructions. Mm -hmm. It's a history book and it's filled with stories. It is our history but it's so much deeper. You know what it is? It's tools for living. And if the creator of the world gave you a tool to build a building and you didn't use it, if you didn't use the level to help your architecture, your engineer, you wonder why your building's wonky. But if you trust that that creator gave you a level, you're going to use every tool in the toolbox because you want that building to rock, not rock back and forth. You want it to be awesome. Yeah. Right? So I said to the student, you go through your journey. I went through my journey. Go through your journey. You ask the question, because you're a Jew, and at least it behooves you to investigate. Find out if it's real. Not because some rabbi tells you, but because you're going to investigate for yourself. Do I believe in God? And if you're listening to this right now and you believe in God, great. If you don't believe in God, great. But at least believe it or not because you've investigated. Is this actually true? And maybe, just maybe, you'll wake up one day And you will believe and know there is a creator. And he gave us the Torah. And the Torah is the instruction manual for living. And if it says in there, don't work on Shabbos, guess what? You don't take the job. How do I do it? It, it, It's a no-brainer for me. I tell them in the beginning, I don't work on the Sabbath from sundown here to sundown here. I, I tell them exactly what that is. And also, I make sure that I work hard the times that I do work. You don't take it for granted. You don't take advantage of it. Right. So let's say, you know, you, you, you're not working nine to five the rest of the days. You're working nine to ten. Hey, I'm accessible. By the way, what kind of a leader are you? You know, if I'm not available and you need something to happen on Saturday, then I'm going to give this producer the ability to make that decision. You got to keep the train moving. That's the most important. Thing. You got to make sure that the production is aware that the production always takes you know, importance over your Sabbath observance or anything. But I have found, look, wearing a kippah, that's a big deal. 
I didn't wear a keep on when I came back from Israel. It took me like 10 years before I was comfortable walking into Disney with a keep on. It was weird the first time, Chaz. Weird. What was that like? What was that was strange. It was strange, especially because people knew me the day before. I wasn't wearing a keep on. Now I'm wearing a keep. Now I don't eat in those restaurants anymore. And guess what? Every time I drink water, before I drink, I say a bracha. Right. And and there I am in a conference room. And guess what? You know what I do? I say the bracha. Okay, I'm not saying it loud so everyone can say amen. But I, I whisper to myself. I'm not embarrassed by it. And many times I've been at a lunch meeting where, you know, I say, you know, guys, I have to say an after blessing. I'll meet you in the car. I'll meet you just a minute. I just got to say this real quick. And I sit there. One time I was directing of an animated show and the actor I had on the show was Mark Hamill. You know who that is? Yeah, I know Mark Hamill. Yeah, he was in a little movie. Yeah, a little movie called Star Wars. Yeah, he was yeah. Luke Skywalker. <laughs> so because it was like a break between the records, we all ate lunch together, me, the other producers, and uh, Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker. And all the food came in, and there was Hebrew letters around the burgers that were wrapped because it was all kosher for me. And he goes, what's up with this Hebrew? And he and he looks at me because I was wearing a kippah. He goes, what does this mean? I'm like, oh, it's kosher. He goes, well, what does that mean? And so I explained to him. I became rabbi, dude, rabbi for Mark Lincoln. Hamill. Yeah. Right? For Luke Skywalker. Right. And, you know, I really find, and I hope everyone listening is, if you take pride in who you are and in the parameters that you set for yourself, others will respect you. I promise you. It's it's always, to me, interesting how Jews that I know, even in Hollywood, they just constantly wear a baseball hat to work. You know, I'm wearing a baseball hat right now, but when I walk into the, the studio, I, I rarely ever wear a baseball hat. And I always tell my Jewish friends, like, guys, just, you don't need the hat. Like, I know many Jewish successful Orthodox Torah Jews that live in my community mm-hmm. who work on major shows. Mm-hmm. None of them go without a hat. None of Intriguing. them. Intriguing. I can't, and, and I'm always like, just, 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 huh. you're so close. Yeah. You're so close. Because right now they know, oh, you're an amazing person. You have great value. They know you're Jewish. Right. But they think Jews are bagels and girlfriends or whatever. Right. But when they realize what a kiddish Hashem it is, what an incredible thing. Wow. He wears that proudly. That impacts the world. Boom. There you go. Boom. Nicely yeah. said. And I'm, by the way, the me, I want you to know me saying boom is, is purely a reference to your amazing podcast, Life of Awesome. Seriously. You're so good, Chaz. <laughs> but I want to say as well, You're I think. You're so um, good, man. I appreciate you, dude. So happy you know, to know you. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. I wanted to say as well to what you said at the beginning in the hiring process, right? Telling them at the very beginning, if they don't respect that, you know, you that you keep Shabbat, that you have Guess what? You don't that. work there, dude. You don't work there. That's that's a that's we I, I actually in my company, Mr. Thrive Media, we produce another podcast called The Cost of Not Paying Attention. And that show, The Cost of Not Paying Attention, is all about diversity, equity, inclusion. Talks right. a lot about that. That anyone who is in the DEI spectrum of any race and religion, whatever it is, if there are certain barriers, that's the time to bring it up. That's the time to to make it known that, that if they don't respect it, that's not a company for you because that means they have a very weak sense of right. respecting DEI. There you, know? you go. Perfectly and, said. Yeah. And it's it's also it's also like to parallel that, let's say, let's not talk about religions for a second. Let's say you were of you were Asian, right? Let's say you were Asian and you practiced Hinduism, for Buddhism, example. whatever. Buddhism, yeah. Right, right. <clears throat> uh, you know, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different uh, ethnicities and customs that come with these other forms that if you mention that to the DEI, that would be, that'd feel a lot more natural for some reason. But as a, sometimes as Jews in the oh, industry, you're so right. we don't feel comfortable bringing that up because it's sometimes hard to remember that, oh yeah, Judaism is a religion it's a race it's a people it's a family yeah, i should have some rights too 
yeah, have some rights to practice what I believe. You know, right. there's a great movie. Have you ever seen the movie School Ties with uh, Brendan Fraser? No. Uh, so it's a great movie. It was made in the 90s, and he plays this high school kid from Jewish community, not so religious, and he ends up going to, like, some preppy high school to play football for them because he's a star quarterback, and he's the only Jew in the school. Got to watch this movie, dude. Matt Damon's yeah. in it. Wow. It's an incredible movie. Great movie for kids, by the way. Like I would say like 12 years, 11 years and up. And he basically gets to the school and he hides his Judaism. He doesn't tell anyone. He puts his My Game David, his Jewish star in his shirt, or actually takes it off, actually puts it in a drawer. Mm -hmm. There's a scene where he actually plays um, on Yom Kippur uh, or, or Rosh Hashanah, I don't remember. At the end of the day, after this big game, he goes into the synagogue and he's sitting there praying in his chapel. The head of the school comes by and is like, oh, what's happening? And he sees what he's doing. And the head of the school gives him this like rebuke of something about like him hiding his Judaism. Like, and you see where he like realized like he made a mistake. I never should have hid this. Wow. I never should have hid it. I should wow. have just respect. I should have embraced my identity. Yeah. You don't need to hide it. Beautiful movie, Chaz. You got to check it out. Great. I, I got to check it out. I, school, I love it. school ties. So, Saul, I want to thank you so much for being on this podcast. Where can people reach you to get involved with the Saul Blinkoff name, the family, the brand? If you want to find out more of the stuff that I'm doing, you can check out my website, which is saulblinkoff.com. Uh, S-A-U-L-Blinkoff.com. From there, you can find out about my podcast, which you can listen to on every major platform, Apple, Spotify, and many others. You can also see that I travel the world as an inspirational and motivational speaker in the Jewish communities and in the secular world as well, giving keynotes for corporations and such. I love speaking. I love, I also do a drawing workshop, an animation Disney drawing workshop, where I teach people, not even artists, like how to draw. And it's just incredible activity. People love it. It's got Disney music. It's really fun uh, and empowering, great activity. And then also soon I will start, uh, I have a life coaching arm of my business starting uh, very soon. So check out the life coaching uh, arm of what I do at soulblinkoff.com. I'm also on Instagram and I throw quotes up there. And look, I just want to, I want to leave everybody with a message here. You know, one of the things, you know, that intrigued me about this podcast that you invited me to Chaz is this idea of being a bad Jew. And, you know, so often in life, we will identify ourselves by these labels and we just have to be careful. Whatever label we're using to identify ourselves, make sure it doesn't limit us. In what? In anything. Not just our Judaism, but in anything in life. You know, I'll give you an example. Let's say, you know, I got four kids. Let's say one day I'm like yelling at my son. And I know deep down, I don't want to be a dad that's angry. I don't want to be a dad that yells at my kid. So I'm going to work on that the next day. And then the next day, my son drives me nuts again. I'm like, you know what? Forget it. I thought I could work on this. I thought I could control my anger, but forget it. I'm going to be the dad that's angry. Don't do that. Don't give in. We will make mistakes in life, but when you make the wrong decision, just get back on the road. It's like you set your navigator in your car. You set your navigator in your car. You make the wrong turn. What does it do? It recalculates. That's what we need to do. So be careful to define ourselves by things that limit us especially when we identify ourselves as something that limits us. That's what bad Jew does. Bad Jew says, you know what? My Judaism, it's, it's, it's not going to grow from here. I'm just, this is kind of how I'm going to level out. We should grow everything in life. 
You should continually try to make more money. Why? Because with money, you can change the world. If you're married, you continually should try to work on that relationship and be a better husband, better father, better human being. You know, so be careful of those limitations. And I also want to say that Chaz, and I know this guy, everyone listening, like I know this guy, this is a very sincere man. He's a very sincere guy. So whatever this man is saying, I'm listening. Thanks for having me, Chaz. You were the you were the man, dude. Appreciate you putting your heart and your sincerity in everything you do. It's really an incredible thing for all of us to hear you. Saul, it really means the world. Thank you so much for being on this podcast, for all the kind words and the wisdom and the insight that you shared with us. I know there's a lot of Jews out there that are navigating Hollywood and trying to figure this out in the midst of anti-Semitism, as well as how to embrace their identity in an industry and in a country that doesn't always embrace them the way that they are hoping to. So I really want to thank you, Saul, for being a part of this show. And I hope that many out there have taken something from this amazing podcast. And we'll see you next time. If anything, they got an invitation for Shabbos. Shalom. Sure.